Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of Mary Talk, talking with Kiss and Charlotte. How are you, Kiss? I'm pretty good. We're talking in the midst of some chaotic situations、uh, happening in America and Los Angeles, but I think we're going to save that for another day because we're both pretty stressed out and we're both been actively watching the news all day, and we really don't want to talk about this topic of. Uh, protests or riots in the United States,、um, any any longer. So, pretty crazy. What should、huh? we talk about instead? Yeah, pretty crazy week. I gotta say.、Um, how about the documentary we watched、um, recently about the three、uh, Tripoli brothers? Yeah. So we watched a documentary called Three Identical Strangers. Uh, it's a pretty successful、uh, documentary in 2018 American film about、um, true story about these three brothers who、um, were put in a, an adoption clinic in a Jewish adoption cl- clinic because I guess they came from a Jewish family or anyways it was a Jewish adoption clinic so Jewish families go to this adoption clinic in New York City and you know they choose from a list、um, of potential adoptees and. These three brothers were put into the same clinic, but they were split up.、Mm. And we find out later in the documentary that they were split up on purpose, as they were supposed to be part of some kind of identical twin study. And they happened to be three identical twins. Well, I guess three identical triplets. Yeah, or boys. Yeah. So it it was the policy at the time in the sixties to separate twins.、Um, I think they thought、um, it was pretty hard to find.、Um, Parents who want to adopt two kids at once because it seems like it'd be pretty stressful, and they thought that maybe it would be economic hardship, so there'd be there'd be a higher chance of that getting them adopted and then getting them quickly into a a home of a family、um, if they just separated them and and had them each go with a separate family. Okay, yes.、Yeah, so that's basically what we are going to talk about today: nurture versus nature. I think I need to explain this a little bit in Chinese. In Chinese, we say nurture. Its meaning is nurturing, nurturing. So today's topic is, uh, is your nurturing education going to influence your life more than the nature of your life? Or the nature of your nature? This is a more traditional topic, but I t h i 因为它是一个比较深刻，我们平时可能考虑不多这样的一个问题。呃，我们大概有这样的一个主题。So basically, we have a theme of nurture versus nature, but we don't know exactly what we want to talk about, like、mm. in regards to the details. And obviously, I'm kind of worried actually, because I don't know a lot about this topic. So you obviously know a lot more I than I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm obviously. I'm not a geneticist. So if I do sound a little bit stupid in today's podcast, please forgive me. All right, I'll pretend to be a geneticist then. You don't have to pretend to be anything. Just、um, tell us whatever you you know. So, yeah, kids. Just、uh, you just introduced the、uh, storyline of this documentary a little bit. So. We got to know that they found out through coincidences, actually. Yeah, when they were in their college years. So one brother goes to a community college, I believe, in New York.、Mm. 
Mm, he gets to college and it's his first year. He's a freshman. And then a bunch of people around the campus say, hey, and they start calling him by a different name. I think they're calling him Edward. And um, his name is Robert or maybe vice versa. And they're saying, mm -hmm. hey, hey, Edward, Edward, Edward. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, I, I don't know. My name's not Edward. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And then he meets the roommate of this guy, Edward. And he says, are you Edward? And he says, no, my name's uh, so-and-so, Robert. And he says, you're not going to believe this, but I believe I know your twin. Mm -hmm. That's and amazing. Right? And the guy finds out, oh, I have a twin. So th he meets the guy's roommate. The roommate and this guy, they drive like three hours to meet the brother mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah. And they meet the brother and like they're just astounded by the fact that neither of them knew that they had a twin. I believe uh, the guy Robert was thrilled when he found out that he actually had a twin brother in this world. I mean, for all these years before he went to college, let's say he went to college at the age 18 to like 20. Yeah. For all these years, he, he thought, well, I'm adopted. I'm the only child. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you find out that you actually have a brother. How weird is that? Yeah, because most adopted kids I know, they, are, they do come like... In singular, like most of my friends I knew that were adopted in the high school that I went to, it was always just one kid. And I'm sure they have some brother or at least a half brother out there. Mm. So I, I guess they have a feeling of like isolation or loneliness. Like I'm I'm the only one in this world. My parents, I don't really, I don't know them. Mm -hmm. Especially in those days. I think now you can request information on who your parents were. Like mm -hmm. no matter what, they can't keep it a secret from you. And if you have a brother, they can't keep it a secret from you. But before 1970s, they could. That's what they... Uh, said in the documentary. Wow. Yeah, how did they find... You said that it's a triplet twin. So how did they find out yeah, their so brother? Yeah, you know, so they're just astounded. Um, they're like, I can't believe I have a twin. It got put in the local newspaper. Okay, their they picture, became famous. Yeah, like a local... Not, not famous, but I think local newspaper. Maybe like a couple towns or county newspaper. Okay. Um, so just the newspaper for the county and, and it's the early 1980s. So there's not, there's like a couple channels on TV and obviously there's no social media. So those things don't get circulated that much. Um, so they put it in the local newspaper and then out of nowhere, they get another call, um, from someone say, I think I'm the third twin. Oh my God. That is crazy. I mean, yeah. being born as a twin is already very rare. And being born as one of the three triplet twins, yeah, that's like amazing. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how common being a triplet is, but you know, it's I don't know any triplets myself. I don't know either. Uh, I remember in the documentary because I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I was busy with something else. Mm -hmm. I didn't like watch every detail, every part of this documentary. I watched like a a gist. So I remember they, okay, they reunited and they got pretty famous. They went on TV, they were on the magazine, they were on the news. And all of these reports kind of emphasized how similar these triplets were. Yeah. Although they were raised in totally different family backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, what, what, are they, what are their family backgrounds first of all? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, their family backgrounds are. So let's go back into what actually was going on. So there mm -hmm. was a study done. I forget about which university. I think it was New Mexico, maybe University of New Mexico um, clinical psycho psychology department. 
uh, was doing some research and they used the adoption because they knew the adoption clinic's policy was to separate the twins. So they said, well, what if we studied the behavior um, of the twins or the parenting skills of the adoptee, you know, the, the adopted, um, you know, the parents, not the foster parents, but the adopted parents. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we could study this and, and do a study about how these kids turn out? So you're saying that the University of New Mexico can actually talk to the adoption organization and tell them, we want to do an experiment like this. Please help us and set this up. Well, it's already, thing, it's, it's, it's already set up. So what the documentary kind of leads you astray, because if you watch it, they want you to, they want to tug on your heartstrings. Mm -hmm. So like tug on your heartstrings just makes you really emotional. And they want to say this is this is a really terrible thing that happened, and they they these kid these kids were part of an experiment. Well, in actuality, you know this was the policy of almost every adoption clinic in the U.S. before 1970. So, so they just like they just separate this um, brothers and sisters. No what matter if, what. What if like there is like some adopting parents they are willing to adopt all these brothers and sisters together. What do you yeah, think there are some people that's, like that? That's, some, that's the point made by a lot of the parents of these kids who are still alive. Exactly. They were in the, their interview and said, we we would have adopted all three, especially the nice guy. I think it was David's father. David, David was, is the third. David's third? the third one who found out last that he was one of the triplets. And he, his family, his father was like the most loving guy. Mm -hmm. And he happens to be like, Hmm, I think it was blue collar, right? Yeah, it was like blue collar. So I like, think he's like the first generation immigrants. Yeah, so they were so not from even Eastern perfect English or something. Yeah, he's from like yeah. Eastern Europe. Um, I think a Jewish American from Eastern Europe. Um, anyway, I lost my train of thought. A little yeah, bit. you were saying uh back to the uh the 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 the, the study, the University of New Mexican. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. the study. Whatever you want to think about it, it's probably unethical t by today's standards. But by those standards, I mean, they're already doing this experiment anyway. And it is profoundly interesting in a scientific question of what do identical twins share the same DNA? That's something we know. Mm. But how does your DNA influence with your environment um, to produce the outcome of who you are as a person, your behavior, your relationships, what you like, what your interests are? Mm -hmm. And you know, wait, wait, wait. Before you go, uh, can we like share with each other our opinions on this issue? The questions you you raised just now, like, you know, is it genetic influence stronger in determining your personality, the development of your life track, or is it the 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 the, well, the, the environment I that you were raised up that has stronger influence in your life? I think. What is your opinion? I'm not going to say one way or the other. I think it depends on the trait you're looking at. But I want to get back to the um, like the amount of similarities that these guys had. Let's point out. Okay. So in the in the documentary, you see that on the surface, these guys are very similar, and they you know that know that like when you meet someone like your college roommate for the first time, yeah, and you and this person just click like no matter what, like everything about you clicks with this person, and you you feel like you know this person. Um, and you become like best friends. I have a couple of friends that that's that's happened with it. Like the effort, the effort to become friends was so easy and so yeah. natural. That's what they said when these guys met. They said like it was like meeting my best friend. Each of them said that. Yeah, they 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 talked about like they liked the same brand of uh, cigarettes. They yeah. were all smokers. They liked the same brand of cigarettes. They even liked the same type of women. 
Yeah. They or play they 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 were in the wrestling team. Yeah. All three of them, right? Yeah. They have almost like the same style, hairstyle. And in many other ways. Yeah, they're the, the so same similar. taste in women. I think you mentioned that. So yeah. yeah. And what you find out as the documentary goes on, it's not it's not that these are superficial things. These are real traits. So like even their GPAs were similar and like the colleges they their level of um, success in college and studying and like a lot of these things seem to be determined by um, genetic predisposition. That's that's so weird to me. Like I, cause like just now I ask you this question: What is your opinion on this? Well, you tend to be more scientific, but I gotta say that I do not have a very broad knowledge of science in regards to this topic. But I have always believed that the environment you were raised in, that is to say the nurturing uh, of your parents, how yeah. they teach you and how you were raised, in what kind of family environment do yeah. you grow up, actually have very strong influences I wanna on put, you. I want to point out something. Like, yeah. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Do you- uh, yeah, because like, you know, in Chinese philosophy, we emphasize like jia jiao, uh, the, educa- the family education and we emphasize, you know, all kinds of manners, like how your parents actually mold you into. So we emphasize that a lot. That's why I have strong belief. Yep. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to mention that today. This just popped in my head. So that's why I wanted to mention it. Like just today, I realized something. I was watching a home video of my dad um, speaking with my mom. And it was, it was a personal conversation between adults. And my parents divorced from when I was a very young age. So I didn't never saw them together or talking together. And the thing he was saying, I'm not going to say what it is specifically, but the thing he was saying um, to my mom is something that I say to my girlfriends. It's like the same word verbatim. And I've never heard him say this to oh anyone because I've never heard him in a relationship. Like I didn't learn this from him. Well, he, then you I never better heard him. you better be self-retrospective and don't get divorced like your dad did when you were very. very well, I'm just young. saying it, it was just like the way in which he said it and what he said. Um, this this is something that wasn't learned. So in my mind, it's something that it's just happened to pass down. We happen to have a same way of expressing ourselves in um, a certain situation, and that was pretty profound to me. Well, is it because like you y- you couldn't remember, but uh, you were there, like for many times when your dad was doing this kind of talk, and it's you possible. kind of like you know his way of talking, his thinking mode kind of got into you, and you started to talk like that when you when you were growing up. I think it's possible, right? I think it's possible. Yeah. It's possible, but it's what what you pointed out is also very interesting. It was, it could spooky, be it was spooky to me because it was because totally. I, I didn't hear him. That's how he talks with his girlfriends, and that's not how he talked to me. That's mm-hmm. not how he talked to people that he meets on the streets or his friends. That that's how he talks to his girlfriends, and I didn't really see him interact with my mom that much or other women that much. So mm-hmm. to me, it was kind of spooky that I I literally say the same thing to my girlfriend. Oh my god! And it wasn't. It's not like something super bad. Super bad. Sorry, I'm mumbling a little bit. But it is something that is just like, whoa, I say the same thing in the same way. Mm. And um, yeah, it was just kind of spooky to me. And it reminded me of what we're talking about right now. Oh, my God. I have the same experience, you know. Uh, As I was saying, I'm a strong believer of your environment, the power of the environment in molding people. 
But the older I get, the more I realize I actually resemble my dad in such a shocking way、yeah. that many of my temperament,、uh, my personality, like sometimes I got very emotional and I kind of、um, got a little bit bad tempered with people that I really care. The、oh. people who actually care about me, like my dad and my mom, are actually a very loving couple.、Mm. They have been married ever since they were twenty years old, twenty-two、mm. years old. Yeah, I believe my mom was twenty and my dad was twenty-two when they got married,、mm. and they are still married. And now they are like sixty years old. I'm pretty sure they care about each other very much because you can see this kind of things from the interactions they have on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but my dad just got mad at my mom sometimes for no reason, like very irrationally. And I started to notice sometimes, like when because I'm I consider myself as a more of、uh, self-reflective, self-retrospective person than my dad. Yeah, I, I consider I, I I'm not sure if it's true or not. And I I found out that oh my god, actually, I'm exactly like my father,、yeah. which is not good. Well, we all inherit things that are not so great. I mean, everyone has flaws, and I think what we're finding out is like these flaws. A lot of times, they're just genetic, and there's what you have to do about them. I guess, in my opinion, to, to, the first most important thing, like fifty percent of the battle, is being aware、mm-hmm. of your flaws and being、yeah. aware of these things. So as long as you like, if you're not aware of it, you're just going to be a complete a hole, as we say, or asshole.、Mm-hmm. Um, But you know the people who are unaware. They're just like you know maybe say Donald Trump. He's not aware of how much an asshole he is. So the first thing is to be aware, and then maybe you can take some corrective actions like yoga or some de-stressing、uh, activities or maybe therapy, whatever it is. Well, speaking of Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a crazy、uh, narcissist. He always says something crazy, and he,、uh, I-, I believe, some. Scientist said that he is actually sociopath, but how come like his his daughter Ivanka Trump is just、yeah. like a normal person? I don't know. They said that I mean not to compare Trump to Hitler, but they said Hitler like really loved his wife and his his dog and like was super nice to them. I think some people so they like, have like different persona. In the public, as they were from、yeah. the persona they have in private. Someone like Hitler would be like super xenophobic, and maybe that's like a vocab word. So xenophobic is to be afraid of people outside your culture, outside your hometown, or outside. You know what I mean?、Mm. So in America, we have that expression a lot because there's so many different immigrant groups yeah, coming yeah. here. That xenophobia, xenophobia. Um, you know, conservatives or xenophobic is something you hear a lot, because yes, te- conservatives tend to be more xenophobic, and liberals tend to be more accepting of other cultures.、Um, but, anyways, yeah. So,、uh, you know, someone like Hitler might be just an extreme, extremely evil xenophobe. So he thinks people outside his little group are just not human, almost, and that's you know that's really evil, and that's. That's what leads、yeah. to genocide, basically. That's why we had、um, concentration camp and stuff. Anyway, back well, to, back yeah, to back to the、uh, documentary. So,、uh, we were just saying that these triplets were amazingly,、uh, were amazingly 
resemble each other in some of these personal Yeah, and even like uh, what traits. interested me is like their weight. Like they all tended to be pretty, I think they were all kind of strong, all mm -hmm. kind of husky. They had about the same fat, um, body fat mm -hmm. composition. So no. you are saying that fat parents will definitely have fat kids. Well, uh, it's possible, <laughs> but I'm just it's saying possible. it's like, you know, regardless of their home environment, it seems they all turn out to be about the same weight. Mm -hmm. um, that yeah. might just be a product of living in American culture as well. But, you know, you see a lot of different body types out there. I thought that was kind of interesting that they all kind of just were kind of moderately strong husky guys. Mm hmm. So what happened next in the, in the uh, I, I believe the tongue of the whole documentary just turned to be a little bit dark. Yeah, because we find what out happened? we find out that so basically the study was set up in this way. Mm -hmm. They knew the families that these kids were put into the people conducting the study. They knew that um, the reason they knew that is because each family was already adopted a, a girl from this um adoption clinic in new york city this 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 um jewish adoption clinic. so they were trying to copy the three families we're not trying to the copy they used the same families that adopted those three girls mm -hmm. they already knew they were already monitoring yeah, but i noticed that you know all of these three triplets they they all have one sister why not one brother i mean if it's adoption why not one uh brother i don't or know two sisters i, I don't know? know why they didn't do one brother or two sisters. I think they were trying to make all of the other conditions almost the same. Neutral, except yeah. for the condition that they want to study, such as yeah. like the uh the, the the like what kind of the financial background of the parents. Yeah, let's get into that. that. A, yeah. Let's, so the you know, there was three sisters. Um the reason it is because they can monitor the activities of these parents. how what's the parenting style? Not just like oh the background. Well we can place them in a um, blue collar, which is like slightly below middle class, mm -hmm. kind of a middle class area. It's kind of hard to actually exactly quantify, but in today's salary, it'd be like um, maybe forty thousand to sixty thousand would be blue collar. Mm -hmm. um, middle class would be like fifty five thousand to ninety thousand or eighty five thousand. Yeah, and then upper middle class would be like seventy five. Um, to one hundred twenty-five thousand. You are talking about the annual income of the household. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just, just adjusting to it to, to today's money because yeah. back okay. then that would be like you're super rich or something. Yeah. Um, so they could do that with any families. They could always pick the income of the family. So th what they were controlling for was not just the income level or the class level, but it was also the parenting style. So they wanted to put. You know, they were monitoring the parents in style by having mm -hmm. the girl already placed in the home from the adoption clinic. So um, so what they did is they placed one brother in this. Um, Can you say the name and the family type? Yeah, if you were keep following the names, it was David. Um, he was put in a lower income kind of, not lower income poor, but blue collar-ish. And you mentioned his dad is like Eastern really, immigrant. really nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's an Eastern immigrant. They owned a little store. So mm -hmm. very like um, small town kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Own your own store. You know, have your kids work at the store. Just, you know, very community-based uh, thing. And his, his dad was said to be like a very loving guy, like mm -hmm. the most loving guy, very emotionally supportive of his kids. Whatever he did, his kids did, he just loved. 
and out of uh, all the adopted parents, he happened to be um, considered the nicest one. He just loved the fact that his son had t- two twin brothers. He just was relishing in that fact when he found out. And this guy was just like a very large persona, you know? Okay. Uh, so, David. Yeah. Uh, first generation immigrant family, which is very loving, has a very loving father. Yeah. Mm, how about the other but two? The, 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 you know, to highlight again, their income wasn't that high. So, maybe they didn't have enough money for him to go to the best college. Maybe yeah, they- but they... They do leave. Uh, I mean, they don't have to worry about their livelihood, right? Um, especially yeah, in the seventies and the blue collar, it's like yeah, you just a very peaceful, normal life. I'm sure you worry about some bills, you worry about s- some healthcare bills and stuff like that. But overall, just like a middle class like life. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have money to buy the coolest presents or the coolest car or the coolest this, but you know you're working hard. It's the working class family. Okay. Um, the other family was Edward, and he was, or no, I think it was Edward or Rob. This I don't want to mess it. I guess we can mess this up. It doesn't. Um, okay, so I'll know in one second. Okay, yeah, so Edward was placed in this traditionalist American family. And to give you guys context, the traditionalist American father figure is a very stoic figure. And I'm sure, like, Chinese listeners will be very familiar with this because in the old times... You know, people from the greatest generation and silent generation in America, the generations that fought in in World War II, those fathers, um, the idea of masculinity and and what a father should be like was very stoic, Mm. um, didn't express his emotions a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that comes from the English-German side of American culture. Yeah, I think Chinese people, especially people of my generation... We have strong resonance with this kind of uh, father figure type because most of, I believe most of, you know, fathers of uh, people of my generation are like that. Yeah. They were hardworking. They were responsible, but they were also very stoic and strict. So they were all about like, you should do good at school. You should work hard. You should um, yeah. choose a life track that is considered to be uh, normal. Let's yeah. Just use this word. Not 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 saying that the other life track is abnormal, but just you know you know what I mean. Just yeah. a tra- traditionalist. Traditional. It's yeah. in every culture. There's Trendals. traditionalists. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people's like a lot of my friends' grandparents tend to be like that, especially um, you know if they're just American, typical English, Anglo-American background. And yeah, this father, so let's add. That's Edward. Yeah, Edward, you know, mm-hmm. so to highlight again, his father wasn't like abusive or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it was common for parents to hit their kids, um, you know, smack them on the butt or whatever when they got in trouble. That is the traditional American form of discipline. And they said that his father is a teacher, right? I think so. And then I, I know that when he was in his teenage years, he had some trouble with maybe he was getting in a little bit of trouble and his dad was very stern about this and just was very rigid and said you 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 know you don't mess around you don't get in trouble you don't break the rules i think this has something to do with his profession because he was a teacher yeah and teacher always emphasized like order obedience and uh, discipline in the classroom in chinese culture and it used to be like that in american culture and it's not so much like that anymore it's uh okay yeah mm. yeah so i'm i'm sure chinese 
teachers are regarded in, in a way that they used to be regarded in the United States. Yeah, not so much anymore. Because as far as I um I I understand, like um these days they are also they are going for like this kind of a uh, freestyle, like boisterous, um very lively classroom environment. Really. Yeah, because you know these days parents just cherish their kids so much, and they have at most the two kids, so. They pay a lot of attention to the psychological health as well as the, um, you know, the happiness of their kids. So they don't want their teachers to mess up with the kids' psychological health and just like be too stern and strict. Yeah, but I thought that overall mm. pa- Chinese parents were still very stern and very strict. And from what you told me about some personal accounts of people that you know, they're very. Harsh on their kids with their schedules and studying habits and um yeah yeah I would say so, but you know like these days it's just like with the spread of social media, if you do anything that considered to be like physical punishment yeah or you are cursing this kid a yeah. little bit because this kind of things happen actually happened in the past you know yeah but nowadays if you actually do that as a teacher in the in the elementary school. Uh, you're gonna be exposed on social media, and you're gonna bring yourself a lot of trouble. So, I I I consider the classroom environment a little bit more lively nowadays than it was in the past. Okay, but yeah, back so let's to the, uh, yeah. So we need to, to go Edward. on to the, we'll go back to Edward later, and then so Edward's from this middle class traditionalist type um, traditionalist American father figure from like the silent you know old World War Two ven- generation. And then we move on to Robert, and he was like an upper middle class Jewish family. His father was a doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not paying attention to the mothers that much because they weren't mentioned that much in the documentary. Oh. But they mainly talked about the fathers for whatever reason. And I Why guess is that maybe because you know a father figure has a lot of influence on a son. I guess on the development of the son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and these mothers, I think they happen to be housewives, or they just helped out at the. Um, it is weird that they didn't mention on like the necessity of like having a affectionate mother. So this this triplet were born in the nineteen sixties. Sixties, yeah. I guess yeah. in the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. So so they were born in nineteen sixties. And yeah. when they found each other, um it was nineteen eighties maybe. Yeah. Nineteen eighties America society. I don't know, maybe their moms are just like housewives. Yeah, it was that was pretty true for a lot of people, or maybe they worked a part time job or something. Or yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, they focused on the fatherly discipline of the you know of the three twins, and the for the so the third brother comes from like an upper middle class family. His father is a doctor, mm. um, so he has more money than all of the other brothers. Yeah. And but the problem was his dad wasn't there a lot because, you know, when you're a doctor, when you when you're a successful businessman or something that you tend to not be around your kids that much. That's just Mm -hmm. a um, consequence of being that successful. Usually. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when your kid is missing you, like, you know, you're going to hang out with him on the weekend for a couple hours, but maybe he doesn't see you all week. Um, And the reason we're talking about this is because there is a tragedy that occurs um, in the later part of the documentary, as the one brother, um, Edward, died by suicide. Oh, my God. So they go into the background. So all it turns out all three of these brothers were predisposed to um, 
had a predisposition to mental health disorders because they found their mom and it turns out their mom had some issues with, um, I think it was bipolar. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember it was bipolar. So were they yeah. hospitalized ever, the three uh, triplets? Yeah, I think they said that Robert was hospitalized. Robert, uh, the one whose dad, whose adopting dad was a doctor? Doctor, yeah. And then okay. also Edward was ho- hospitalized in his teenage years, I believe. I don't know how the, uh, what do you call this kind of hospital? A mental hospital? Yeah. So how does mental hospital work in America? Like, well, it used to be, the system used to be, before the 1980s, the system used to be totally different. They had institutions Mm. and you could either go there um, on your own volition so you could sign up to be there because you feel so unstable in society or you're homeless or you have nowhere to go and you you just have some disorders or they would admit you based on um, your ability to succeed in the society. So if you were just acting crazy, they used to have the um, power to just admit you for just pretty much any reason. Okay, so uh, we don't know. Like, uh, they didn't mention in the documentary when they were hospitalized in their teenage years. Yeah. Was it voluntary or involuntary hospitalization? But it does matter. So, yeah, it's just a couple weeks. Do you know, like... It's usually a couple weeks stay and they give you some pills and they give you, Uh they calm you down and, like, you talk to a therapist to diagnose you. That's usually what, like, um going into the psych the psychological ward the psych ward they call it in america mm-hmm. that's usually what going to the psych ward entails because i've had a couple you know people i know and friends i know go into the psych ward for like two to three weeks and then they come out and they say well yeah i had to go to the psych ward because i had this issue um, so two to three weeks are you gonna really just change your mental situation into just no, three but weeks? It, it's it's for a diagnosis. It's to calm you down for going on whatever it is. They give you pills that will automatically calm you down, and then we'll put maybe assign you some antidepressants or antipsychotic medication for more severe cases. I'm so scared of those pills. I don't want to talk about those pills because that's a whole other. I would never take them. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, the idea of like antidepressant pills itself just, just kind of uh, scales yeah. me. Well, you know, for things like schizophrenia and severe bipolar, um, you know, the mental state is so blurry that sometimes you need maybe not antidepressants, but antipsychotics, they call them, mm. which are like severe, uh, very strong forms of antidepressants. Yeah, that is like a serious mental disease like you are no longer yourself you you are not aware of your mental status anymore but so i mean do your listeners know what like bipolar is like these guys the one guy the one brother i don't think people are so familiar i think um we need to explain a little bit bipolar i mean uh i believe in chinese we call it um what do we call it in chinese i don't know anymore Bipolar. Let me see. Um, it's called Yeah, so basically, bipolar. Po, po is the word. So, So, we refer to this disease where, you know, uh, people with this disease are suffering from like 
very, very strong uh, fluctuation of their emotions. Sometimes they were super depressed and yeah, super down. exactly. They can't even do anything. Get out of bed, yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes... But sometimes they were, like, super excited and they think the world is so beautiful. Everything is so great. They were so creative. Yeah, very high self-confidence, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, even with that high manic stage, as they call it, you can enter into... Um, a place where you're out of touch with reality that you're so high on this manic wave mm -hmm. that that's a, that's the time that you might be able uh, might be admitted to the psych ward if you're just so high on this wave mm -hmm. and you start maybe having hallucinations or uh, visions of grandeur or mm -hmm. something like that yeah so all of the three brothers of the triplet were kind of aware that they because of the genetic um influence like, from their mom yeah they have this mental condition that they need to be careful about. Yeah, so I think the one brother, Edward, was actually the only one diagnosed with bipolar. Mm -hmm. And the wife of Edward discloses this later. Like, she didn't know when she married him, but then she found out he was diagnosed with bipolar. Oh. And um, it was kind of like a uh, tragic surprise for her. Um but the other brother, Robert, as we mentioned, he had some issues as well, especially in his teenage years. But he seemed to have like sort of grown out of these. Mm -hmm. And it's it's when the three brothers teamed up and they actually opened a restaurant in New York City and everything was going great and they were high on life. And for a bipolar person, this is like, you know, you're triggering this manic phase where you're just really excited about you teamed up with your brothers you never met before and you're just so happy. But then they started to have a falling out because you know, running a restaurant business is very stressful and tough. I know because my dad used to have a restaurant business. And it, it turns out that the one brother, Edward, just didn't handle the, this falling out between the brothers well at all. And um, from there, he went on sort of a downward spiral. Um, did Like one of them actually uh, got out of the uh, restaurant business. Was that Robert? Um, I think it was Robert. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I mean, um, Edward definitely didn't stay in either because that's mm -hmm. kind of what, like, drove him into that kind of depression. Okay. So, yeah, and then we came to the tragic ending that Edward just killed himself. Yeah. Um, but the two other brothers are still alive to this day, and they're doing the interviews in the documentary. Yeah. And so you're kind of like, well, where's, why isn't Edward doing a lot of these interviews? Yeah, you start to wonder, right? Yeah. And then it turns out he killed himself. Yeah. I was lit. Yeah, I was asking you this question just now. Um. So according to the documentary, the the facts, not the opinions, in the documentary, we got to know that all of the three brothers, the triplets, were already kind of aware of their mental situation. Yeah that they need to be careful about. If you feel like super low, super depressed, you should probably go see a doctor because, yeah. you, you know, genetically speaking, you are susceptible to bipolar, right? Yeah. So why does why didn't uh, Edward, the guy who committed suicide, um, seek for help? I mean, that's a question we could ask anyone that commits suicide, right? Or anyone that has some drug problem. Like, hey, why didn't you Why didn't you go to help? Why didn't you go get help? Everyone knows that there's help. 
Um, everyone knows you can talk to people who love you, but I guess when you're in that state of mind, you're just so hopeless. You think um, nothing can help you. Like um, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, the famous singer of Nirvana, he had everything going for him. He had a wife, a daughter. He had a uh, wonderful music career that was still blossoming. And even that guy is like, he knew that he could have gone to rehab. He knew that he had many outlets out of this. And he was only 27 years old. And, you know, he decided to kill himself one day. Yeah, that was the 27 Club, you know. Because many yeah. famous celebrities actually killed themselves before. Or well, they didn't. Like right before, right after they were like 27 years old. Yeah, I think. Or they died. They, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, Kurt Cobain's one of the only ones um, that actually intentionally killed himself with a suicide note and everything. The others kind of just either did so much drugs or drank themselves into oblivion. Yeah. The the, the, the most uh, recent example I know is uh, Amy Winehouse. Yeah. But the which singer. Overdose of pills, right? Or something I like. think so. She When she died, she was also around like 27 years old. Yeah. People so start to talk about this 27 Club. Yeah. Back to the documentary. So, um, well, because we... We're trying to talk about the uh na- the topic of nature versus nurture. Yeah, we understand these three brothers as triplets. Well, I have a very strong reason to believe these three brothers actually have very same nature. They share the same genetics because that's what twin brothers do. And then how come only Edward, you know, got so depressed that he had to end his own life? Yeah. Well, the others did not. So that poses a question. Is it because the family environment these three brothers were raised up in were so different as as Keith has just introduced? Uh, One of them is from this blue-color first-generation immigrant family but has a super-loving father as David, right? And the other one, Robert, has a rich dad who is a doctor. But Edward has like a father who works as a teacher who is very strict and stoic. I believe there are so many descriptions about Edward's father's way and and his relationship with his father. And the documentary said that he doesn't have a very good relationship with his father because like he never mentioned his brother, his father. So, yeah, I guess we I guess those they too are the only ones that know what actually happened. Maybe they did get into a couple of fights or fist fights or something. Not that there's any evidence of that, but maybe they did have a bad falling out. But what the documentary indicates is that it was largely the fact that um, Edward felt like when growing up, he didn't have anyone to talk to. And like he felt like his dad was unapproachable. Did they say that in the documentary? Yeah, they did. And, you know, the others. But what about Robert? Robert. Robert's father is also very busy and well it's not about busy it's about emotionally approachable and they said what Robert's father showed up to his um, sporting events and his academic events and showed a lot of care but he just wasn't there that he wasn't there as much as like a regular dad would be okay and I think um, Robert even mentions that that affected him uh, in a way too because you know, out of all three brothers, David seems to be the one that's most mentally uh, stable. stable. I don't think he was ever admitted to any odds. He might get bouts of like maybe some a little bit low depression, but I, he he's the only one that was never admitted to the psych ward. Okay. Yeah. 
but they so, all did admittedly have at least some issues with the mental health. So the documentary, the message from the documentary was kind of like, well, the genetic influences so many of their personality traits, like yeah. what kind of um, woman they like, what kind of a cigarette brand they prefer, and what kind of person they grow up. Uh, they grow up to be uh, but like, also like in a more in a deeper way like what eventually decides the ultimate result of your life is actually the environment you yeah. were raised in the family environment well to be more specific the kind of care the kind of love you feel from your real life yeah so it it seems that the main they're mentioning that the main role of parents is not to make as much money to send you away to the best schools. It's not to, you know, mold you into such a person. Um, because Edward's father, he mentioned it in the interview that he believed that he could just mold his son. He wished that you know he committed suicide and he wished he just taught him something, one more thing, that maybe would pre- prevented his suicide. And he, he kind of takes it personally, like he failed. As a he fa- says so? Yeah, he says he wish he could have taught him something extra. He, w- I just wish there was something more I could have taught him. As if like this is old school mentality, like I can just teach my kid and he'll be happy. I can teach my kid how to be happy. I can teach my kid how to do this. And everything is about molding the kid using very direct um, methodologies. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, what is indicated in the documentary and other studies that I read is that parents parents main job is to provide a sense of security and comfort and love Mm -hmm. it's about the affection that you give it's the fact that you are providing a a secure household yeah that's important secure food there's no scarcity of shelter or food you're sending them to you know live in a nice community but primarily are you there for them emotionally um and that's the question that in this documentary that's the one factor that was different all of these fatherly figures have different ways of being there emotionally for their kid. Mm. The one father thinks it's just important to lay down the structure, lay down the rules, Edward's father. and just provide for my family, and that should be sufficient. Well, in my opinion, and in other research, it seems that that's not sufficient. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, eventually... Yeah, I remember at the end of the documentary, like all of the people who have been interviewed throughout the whole movie, throughout the whole documentary, they were saying eventually it, it is the nurture that wins. It is the nurture that really matters. I don't... I, it, I think it depends on the circumstance. Is it's not? I don't think it's a battle between the two. It's always called nature versus nurture, but I don't think it's a battle. It's about, well, what are we talking about? Your sense of security and your emotional security and your emotional comfort, I think that largely comes from nurture because that depends on how your parents, how your relationship is between your parents is the most important factor. And when you're talking about someone who has a genetic predisposition for disposition for mental health disorder such as anxiety or depression or bipolar i think that factor becomes especially important now maybe if the guys didn't have this genetic predisposition towards bipolar maybe this guy just wouldn't have had been very close with his dad and 
and tried to seek out other methods of providing security. But because he was bipolar, it affected him profoundly and led him um, ultimately to you know, just feeling so lonely all the time. As if he's having no one to talk to, even though he met his brothers. I don't, um, I mean, probably because I grew up in a Asian culture. I don't quite get it. Because, like, even Edward's father was was a very stoic and strict guy. As it is said in the documentary, and as Keith, you have just introduced. But Edward should have a, a very good knowledge that his dad is a nice person. And his dad loves him. Because, well, like, based on the facts that, you know, his dad was not was not an irresponsible person. He was, his dad was was there. He might be strict and stoic with him uh, in regards to certain things, like, oh, you need to finish your homework before you can watch the TV. Uh, you need to get straight A, blah, 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 blah. But you do know that your parents want you to do these things because they believe this is to your own goods this is to your own interest and you can have a better brighter future if you do these things well of course i'm not saying that all of the uh, parents judgment or their opinions are justifiably correct i'm not saying that because we do have a lot of stupid parents in this world i'm just saying to the best of their knowledge they believe this is the best for you and that's why they do it they do not do that because they want to torture you. So Edward must have a very good knowledge that his parents, his father, actually care about him. That's why his father was set, was setting up these rules and being very strict with him. Yeah, but it, I think it's very apparent that human beings are emotional creatures, and that's not sufficient. It's not, you know, a robot could do that, or some other entity could do that. Like someone who's not your father, provide structure, provide you financial support, lay down the rules. I mean, that's a very top-down authoritative structure that pretty much anyone can fill that role. You could pay someone to fill that role, but you can't pay someone to fill the role of a true, genuine, emotional um, connection to someone. To someone like a father figure, you say, Dad, you know, I'm really not feeling great about this situation today. Mm-hmm. I'm really not feeling great. I have this, I'm getting bullied at school, or my girlfriend dumped me, or whatever it is. Humans need that emotional component to feel secure inside. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, sometimes your reason kind of tells you one thing, but your emotion feels another thing. Yeah. And usually this emotion um, kind of um, overwhelms the voice of the reason and you just choose to behave according to your emotion. That happens a lot, especially especially to females. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a... Uh, I don't think this is such a case of emotion versus reason. I think we we can't downplay the fact that humans are emotional creatures. And when we're talking about family relationships, we're definitely emphasizing like it's not just about the structure. It's about the actual emotional connection between siblings, between mother and son, between you know mo- uh, father and son. Yeah, I'm saying that you know as an Asian person. Um, we have a lot of like strict fathers. You're father saying that figures. basically your family and, and families that you know line up with Edwards in a more precise way. And the, I can't not, speak for every Chinese family, but I can speak for 
as some of my friends as well as myself, we do have like this type of traditional family. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I have a very good understanding that my dad was being strict with me because like for all these years when I went to middle school, when I went to high school, he never allowed me to watch TV. So every time I came back from school, I, I sort of like tried to, you know, kind of like delayed my, because there was a routine, right? You put some tea, you put some milk before you go back to your own room and started, started like doing math or something. Yeah. Um, I was delaying the time and I was doing that in front of the TV. Well, if I stood in front of the TV for more than 10 minutes, he's going to say something. My dad is going to say, go back to your room and do your homework instead of like trying to delay in front of the TV. Yeah. But I understand that. I understand that. And emotionally, I feel like, well, maybe I didn't get so much like intimate um, interactions with my father because he has always been like this traditional type of father figure. But reasonably, uh, reasonably, I understand everything he has done for me. And mm. I'm grateful for all the things he has done for me because it's kind of like discipline. And sometimes people do need this kind of discipline. Well, discipline is again that's like a, lo a lot of these other families it's like it's not like they're not providing discipline i mean the discipline structure is there but this guy tends to emphasize the discipline more than the emotional connection and the emotional intimacy yeah i and, guess you're right yeah and especially you know maybe in your culture maybe it's comforting that a lot of families that you grew up with tend to be like this but in america um it's definitely more of a a mixture and you definitely see a lot more fam families like if you go to your friend's house and the, why why is my friend's parents so loving and my my dad i can barely talk to i think a lot of people have this feeling i mean my father probably lined up more with david uh although my dad tends to be strict about very strict about particular subset of issues um but yeah i felt like overall i could talk to my dad about anything i could go to him with pretty much any problem um, I could always hang out with my dad. We can go on runs together. Um, overall, pretty good relationship. So, can I understand this documentary in this way? That when we talk about nature uh, versus nurture, when we talk about this specific thing, nurture, we don't consider the financial situation of the three families. We only consider the loving interactions between father and son. I think that the nurture is constitute is consisted mainly by the human interactions instead of the other external things such as the finance, such as the house you live in, such yeah. as the cars you drive. Yeah, and like I think in American society and Chinese society, I'm sure too, we overemphasize the size of your house, the amount of gold you got for your spouse, the amount of presence you got as a kid i think we overemphasize that especially these days you have no yeah. idea because like i mean the house price is getting crazy in big cities in china so when you uh, i mean not everyone is like that but mm. many people are like that i think when you want to get married or get into a romantic relationship with someone you were kind of uh you know prying into the uh, the question whether he or she, uh, he, mainly he, 
whether he has a house or whether he has a car, yeah, or what kind of job he's doing and um how much money he's making right now, yeah, like it, 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 is is he gonna provide me with a comfortable life? Yeah, so I think all this stuff matters, and but I think like um I've read studies on relationships as well, so picking the right partner, it matters. The financial success of them and the attractiveness or whatever matters to a certain extent, but past a certain point, it kind of just plateaus. So the fact that all three of these families could provide a house, a community for these kids to grow up in, mm-hmm. a safe community, um, food all the time, even some vacations and stuff. They all had cars. So the fact that they all have, you know, this basic needs met. I think is what important, and beyond those basic needs, the superficial needs, such as the nicer car for the richer kid, Robert, is not so much doesn't have so much of effect on your outcome of your life or your the how healthy your mental health is. Interesting. Yeah, since we tend to have like different opinions, we think.、Uh, I don't know if I can say we, but I um. As far as I observe, people tend to think that if you grow up in a certain family, and when we say a certain family, I mean, for example, both of your parents are well educated, middle up, middle、um, professional people,、mm. and then you were kind of provided with all kinds of opportunities that you can ever possibly have、mm. in a society like China. Like you can go to the best uh school,、yeah. you have like really wonderful private tutors. In summer vacation, winter vacation, you can actually go abroad and visit some foreign countries. Um, you learn some musical instruments such as piano,、uh, th- which are very expensive, by the way. So、mm-hmm. we tend to have this opinion that if you were born in a family like that, yeah, you were blessed. And we, when we say blessed, we don't take into account like how you actually interact with your parents, and and that's a very so that's why this documentary is a very very um, are、uh, uh, insightful.、Mm-hmm. It's a very I, insightful documentary for me. I can mention another um scenario because I know adoption is pretty rare in East Asian culture, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty rare, I think. So I have like several friends、um, in my high school that were adopted, and actually, one of my brother's、uh, great friends, his brother was actually adopted, and my brother's friend comes from、um, a typical Jewish American family. And for those who don't know, the Jewish culture and、um, for Jewish Americans is pretty similar to Chinese. Like they emphasize studying in a very strong way,、mm-hmm. and the rules are pretty strict around, especially studying. Yeah. Um, which is and it goes above and beyond the normal Americans' expectations for performance in school and stuff like that.、Mm-hmm. Um, so in this situation, my brother's great friend,、um, he has an older brother. The oldest person in the family is adopted, and he's an adopted guy of、um, some other family. And he has like totally different hair color.、Um, he looks much different. He's much taller than my brother's friend. My brother's friend and his sister. They look very much similar, and their educational outcomes were pretty similar. So they both attended really great universities, and they both got a really high GPA. 
whereas the oldest sibling who was adopted seemed to be like super interested in music. Uh, I think he has a decent career, but it's not like a super academic based career. Um, so you can see the fact that like the influence of these parents to perform so great in school didn't have as much of a profound effect as the genetics in this scenario, it seems to me. And why do you think he's that? Why do I think that's that? Because they all have the same environment, right? They all have the same learned environment. So oh, yeah, yeah. So in the case of the triplet, they have the same genetics, but they have different environments. Exactly. So in the case you just gave us, they have the same environment, but they have the different genetics. Yeah. And they turn out to be different. And in the same genetic, uh, different environment group, they turn out to be different too. Mm-hmm. The triplet. Well, they turn out to be different too. So, But different in a we, different way. Then we come to a dead end. Like the well, environment as well as the genetic both play roles in how you turn out to I be. But I want to highlight, I think it's very different in a very different way. So these How? these three identical brothers had the same genetics so they had the same interests they had around the same intelligence they they got like the same grades they both went to they all went to like pretty decent schools so they all kind of led similar life paths where but their emotional security felt different whereas in my case with my friends uh, my brother's friend they all had um the same learned environment um, but their personalities were much, much different. So they had much, much different interests and much, much academic, different academic outcomes and much, much different career outcomes. So, wait. So can we understand <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah, because this is sort of complicated here. So can we understand that um, things like your hobbies, your intellectual level, yeah. Meaning your in- intelligence, as well as your academic performance, this kind of things tend to be determined by your genetics. That's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. While the other things, such as your emotional security, your emotional stability, and your what else, like this kind of things, kind of yeah. are decided by the environment you live in, yeah. by how you interact with people around you, especially. Like your parents, your siblings. I think you're. I think the biggest influence of nurture, and they highlight this. Like they always say that um, there's also the um, attachment, um, attachment theory in relationships. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? So attachment theory is like they found the biggest correlation between um, patterns of behavior in relationships has to do with the three attachment styles that you acquire from a very young age, and you acquire this based on. Um, mainly your connection with your mother. So if you, if your mother was... Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I think I need to explain the word attachment. Uh, attachment is attachment. So we just mentioned the attachment style is attachment Yeah, please Yeah, so I don't want to mess this up but attachment theory basically says so if your mom is not around a lot you might develop insecure attachment or anxious attachment or secure attachment so there's mainly three different components there might be a fourth one that's not used as much Um, but anxious attachment is like you have to be around your partner all the time you just overwhelm your partner and your partner might feel so overwhelmed 
Um, and then there's avoidant attachment is where you enter a relationship and then, you know, you're comfortable being alone. So your partner's proximity to you physically and um, metaphorically makes you feel uncomfortable. So you tend to like not answer the text as much or you tend to go in your room a lot or you tend to um, pretend that you're busy with work or even subconsciously, um, you know, pretend that you have that much more work to do than you actually do. Um, and then there's secure attachment, whereas like you feel not too anxious if the partner goes away and you also feel like you're comfortable around this person. You don't have to retreat to your room or something to get away from this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you just explained, um, I think they have a famous experiment with the uh, mom yeah. and the kid. Yeah. So we have three different attachment style yeah. called security, avoidant and anxious. So security attachment style uh, kid, like uh, they do this experiment uh, in such a way that the kid was playing with some toy and they were just experiencing, they just experienced before the experiment started, they experienced a short separation from their mom. Mm -hmm. I believe like their mom just uh, left for no reason without any warning. Mm. And then the attachment, uh, the security attachment style kid, when their mom came back and there was a toil, but not so close to the mom, the mom just to sit there and the kid has to go uh, a, a certain distance to play the toil, to mm. play with the toil. And then the security attachment style kid was secure, secure. Yeah. And he doesn't. He doesn't look worried or anxious at all. He was just uh, playing with the toy because yeah. he, uh, he knows that his mom is there. I, I believe he checked maybe like throughout the whole process, he checked maybe once or twice yeah. and that's it. But the avoidance, avoidant attachment style kid was very interesting. Yeah. He just went straight directly to the toy and never looked back as if like, I don't need your care. I don't need your attention because you yeah. just left me. And this is the way I show my anxiety over the fact that you left me alone just now. And the anxious attachment style kid, they were very anxious. They were very timid to even go, uh, to even like leave their mom and go to the toy directly. Mm -hmm. And in the process, they were playing with the toy. They kind of check on their mom from time to time because they were anxious that their mo uh, might his mom might like leave, a leave again, disappear again. Wow. Yeah, that's the experiment. I think I might be anxious attachment because I remember when I was like seven, my mom used to like leave and I was <laughs> always worried about like, I was this one year, like when I was like seven, I was always worried like she would never come back because she might get in a car accident. Why, why would you think like that? I don't know. It was always like, it was never like she's going to abandon me. It was just like, oh, she might get in a car accident. And then I would hear like a siren. And then I'd be like, oh, maybe she got in a car accident. And my mom told me that when she was like seven years old, the mm -hmm. same thing happened to her for like a year. I think I had the same experience, but not so long. Like I I remember once or twice, I was like, um, there was nobody at home. I was waiting for my parents and it was like, where are they? They might be in a car accident or yeah. something. Yeah. It's kind of scary. I guess it's a phase. Like everyone will grow out of this phase. Anyway, the anxious attachment theory affects your relationships throughout your life. And it's very hard to change your attachment style. But you 
you can it's very it turns out to be something that you can cope with very easily unless you have a severe attachment like your parents actually abandoned you for a very long time and you're just so anxious attachment that you can't get over it or you're just too overwhelming mm -hmm. but most people have some type of um i think 25 percent have anxious some 25 percent have avoidant i guess sometimes you know most of the time it's not like you are a security attachment style you are um avoidant attachment style it's a combination of yeah all of this maybe a little on one side or a little to the other side yeah exactly so i know a lot of friends who are especially comes out in high school and stuff yeah. anyway so that's one thing that like nurture has a huge effect on um i don't know exactly what percentage but definitely a lot and this attachment style theory reminds me of what the case was going on with these twins with the relationship with their fathers and how you know not having someone to go to and feel like that emotional connection can lead you to feel lonely in your whole life and maybe most people will be able to cope with that loneliness or make some other friends but because of these guys disposition towards um bipolar disorder you know it just was a bad mix and that's what some of the people mentioned in the documentary like some people are just a bad mix and you know if you're put in a family that you don't really mix well with as an adopted kid you know that can have devastating consequences yeah that's why you know not everyone is very lucky like the triplets um in this documentary david he's lucky because he happened to have a, a adopting father who is very very loving yeah he happens to grow up in a very loving caring family but not everyone is so lucky yeah such as edward so i guess the important thing i learned the important lesson i learned from this documentary is you really need to help yourself and the first step of doing that is getting to know yourself. Mm. Sometimes getting to know the genetic history in your family is essential in helping yourself understand yourself better. Yeah. Yeah, and once you got agree. to know the genetic history of your family, you know that, well, maybe you are susceptible to a certain defects in your emotion, in your personality, once you have this knowledge, this is the first step. You mm -hmm. can you can start do something. You can you can start reading uh, academic papers in regards to, uh, academic papers uh, of psychological research. You can start to know yourself better, and that would be the first step that you can help yourself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's basically the lesson I learned from that documentary. I thought there was a lot of interesting things like how the i mean we already talked about this but just to um summarize basically you know you shouldn't prioritize the financial outcomes in your life and all of the material things as much you should i don't think they talk about this kind of things in this documentary well and whether they, whether like, they talk about it whether they talk about it or not that's the conclusion that i came to because it's very clear that there's it, these people exist in vastly different income structures and the outcome of these kids mental health and just their feeling of security was not really influenced by that at all and i thought that was pretty interesting because you know in our cultures in american culture and in chinese culture it's it is emphasized definitely more in in chinese culture definitely emphasized like oh you have to you know reach this certain income threshold and you have to have a certain you have to be in the upper middle class 
or you know if not the upper class then definitely the upper middle class and it's like are we really emphasizing the right things for our society um we're definitely emphasizing the things that are best for the economic outcomes in our society but for our actual mental health and well-being are we emphasizing the right things that's one of the things i took away from it yeah i mean well generally the documentary doesn't mention a lot about the financial situation's influence on these triplets i mean it would be really dramatic if like robert uh, who has a a father of a doctor if robert ended ki- ended up killing himself that would be like the most dramatic thing and they would be saying that oh see the kid who grows up the, in the richest family actually turns out to kill himself yeah that would be like really dramatic but yeah so it wasn't so much about that the yeah again the biggest factor was is is my father figure someone i can talk to about how i feel about things is it feel like you know, someone who's always there for me, not physically, but emotionally. Okay, thank you for sharing this. Um, you tired? I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> you ran out of things to say? <laughs> yeah. So I think, oh, this is a tough one. So I think the takeaway should be, you know, you shouldn't really try to mold your kids. It's not like molding and just letting out all these rules and teaching them everything is going to create the person. The person is pretty much there. The person, the mold is already there, but you have to protect and provide security. You have to provide basic financial needs and you have to also most importantly be like someone who's emotionally there and emotionally secure relationship with your kids. I guess this applies to romantic relationship too. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Okay, so once again, the documentary we have been talking about the whole podcast is called Three Identical Strangers. And thank you uh, for listening to our podcast today. Keith, do you have anything to add? No, I'm tired. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then let's call it a day. And thank you again for listening to the podcast today. And bye for now. Okay. Um, So there's one thing we forgot to mention. um, Well, you know, was the fact that after this documentary, I remember we had this long conversation as if like, you know, did, did Edward have a choice really? And that leads us into a big philosophical question that I at least want to talk about for at least 10 minutes or like or something like that. Do you think he has choice? So in my opinion and other like intellectuals and neuroscientists whom I like to read, such as uh, Sam Harris, he's a popular neuroscientist and author. He mentions that like free will, you know, if you think about it as like a me- your brain is a mechanism and there's a firing of neurons. You don't really have a choice. It may seem that retroactively you can look back and say, well, I made a choice. Um, but no, the your brain processed a circumstance and then the outcome was the choice. I And you were I, very opposed to this idea. I Yeah, I don't agree. Because like I, I, throughout my whole life up until now, I believe in personal efforts. Yeah. I believe in things like that. Everyone around me back in high school, 
we were not from the rich families. Our parents were like everyone. I was in like one of those like elite class.、Mm. They just、uh, gather a bunch of、uh, a kids with high GPA、mm. in one classroom, and all of them, everybody around me,、mm, their f- parents do like pretty mediocre, pretty ordinary jobs. None of us is like really rich or have really well educated professional. Parents and f- starting from there, I'm a believer of personal efforts and personal choice. So, if you think that you have a problem, I believe you have a free choice to seek for help. At least we don't know if it's gonna work or not. At least you have the choice to seek for help. Yeah. Why? Like choose, like taking the gun and pull the trigger. Shoot the bullets in your head. That is an action of choosing. You choose to end your own life. Yeah, but in like the free will proponents or the anti-free will proponents idea of things, it's like, well, it's not so much like it's not so much like you get to a point and then there's two choices. It's more like your brain is a roadmap. And all of these roadmaps have already been laid out, and you can learn new things and add to this roadmap, or add to this highway network, but you can't actually make choices、um, prematurely. Everything that leads you up to the moment where you do pull the trigger is a fact of the matter that you were born into this situation. You have the genetics that you have, and you have the environment that you had, and you this right now at the moment. Um, that this person may have pulled the trigger, they're not feeling the things they need to feel in order to not pull the trigger. It's a very philosophical conversation. Well, can I understand that? You know, when he decided to pull the trigger, he was already mentally disturbed. That is to say, he was suffering from some mental disease, and this mental disease just kind of like disturbs his reason and making him not being able to think reasonably and rationally.、Mm-hmm. Why do you term this as free will? I'm asking you. I don't term it as free will. Oh、uh, yes, because you said the question is, does Edward actually have free will or not? Yeah. So I'm basically saying that he has his genetic、um, predispositions, which is how his brain kind of works to begin with, and then he has his. Environmental influence on his brain, which is everything that you have learned throughout your life, and even the experience that you haven't learned, that you've just experienced and absorbed some information, such as、um, going to war and seeing a lot of、um, terrible things. So, like they say, like a certain percentage of people who go to war、um, come back with PTSD, and these PTSD might be anxiety or bipolar or some bad mental disorders that manifest. And these things may not have mani- only manifested because you saw such horrific things, but some people have the genetics where they don't get any PTSD at all, even in the war. Like World War Two was so cruel. So, the, like a a soldier who ends up killing himself, well, he has the right genetics. He saw the right things, and then he got back to the United States or where he's from from, and he decided to kill himself. Um, so I don't think free will. Plays a significant role or role at all. I think it's kind of like a philosophical thing. I need to do more research into the topic to、um, have more organized answer. Because 
you know, merely based based on my own personal experience, I believe people do have free will. When you realize there is something wrong going on in your mind, when you realize you started to have this crazy idea, well, it's time for you to take some actions and seek for help, especially professional help. Go to a psychiatrist, a therapist. I guess we'll end on this, but what if you don't have the type of genetics where? So, I think you and I are kind this of. This is not a genetic. But this is a basic, common knowledge. I think when y- you need help, you need to seek for help. I think you and I, and you know, someone like my mom, and our people, for example, who when we feel jeopardized or when we feel bad, we want to make all the efforts in the world to not. To get out of that situation, like if I'm a little bit depressed, like I want to make sure I'm eating healthy, I'm doing all the right things to get out of it because I don't like being there. Yeah, I like people... to do sports or like take a bath to get out of that kind of like depressing、uh, mood. But other people don't have that ability. I've seen many people sink further in that situation and do all of the wrong things that lead them to feel worse. And I don't. To me, it's hard to understand. But maybe. Their brain is made differently than mine. You think this is because their brain is made different? Made, I I believe that is like a ma- lack of knowledge. It's a self-destructive behavior that you sink even deeper well, into let's that talk kind of about, depressing attitude. But f- like, okay, so maybe it's not genetics, but maybe it's like, and in Edward's case, you know, he doesn't have the emotional security. To pull himself out of that situation, whereas maybe I do, or maybe his brothers did. So he gets into that situation. What do you mean emotional security? You mean that even if he、uh, try to seek for help, he don't he doesn't think no he's not the kind of no he's not the kind of person to begin with who would make the effort to seek the help. Why Beca- not? You need help. No, because he doesn't have the um you know the the childhood structure or the emotional security from his childhood. To feel confident about getting out of the situation and feel confident about when he feels bad that there's someone there for him, so that leads him on a further downward spiral. So, according to you and some Harrys, you guys believe that the neuroscience has already kind of determined people like Edward, you know, due to the genetic influence from his mom, because his mom is indeed a bipolar, yeah, and due to the environment he was raised. Uh, he has a strict and stoic father. Yeah, this or has certain influence upon his neural system, and this eventually led to him not having a free will of seeking for help, of taking actions against his own mental problems. He doesn't have a choice,、yeah. and he, the only choice he has is pull the trigger and kill himself. I think the choice is an illusion. Because I think everything up until that moment led him to do that. I think every action in because the, the world is a linear event, right? So you can't go back, you can't go sideways. Everything that happens up to you until the moment before you pull the trigger is already been done. What about his brothers? He has two other brothers. They are very loving and caring. Well, maybe you know you're. I know they say like they emphasize childhood development. Like a lot of this, these neural networks and emotional and relationships are developed in a young age. Maybe by the time he was twenty-five and he met his brothers, these pattern, these networks of emotional security and relationship security weren't strong enough in him. You okay. Know, you have to learn a lot of this stuff at a, you have to develop a lot of this stuff at a young age, I guess. 
But so if it's not, you know, if it's not what I'm I don't I'm know, saying, man. I mean, so what exactly? There, there are a lot of things that has been determined due to your childhood uh, development. But, well, personally speaking, I'm a person who is always developing my personality, who is always correcting my but that's defects. You, but that's you as a person. But Who that's, is always changing. You are not the same person as you are yesterday. But that's one of your traits, is that you're that, you're that person who makes a lot of efforts with using their brain to get out of the situation and try different things but not everyone so you're saying that some people are just built that way that they will never change i'm not saying that they'll never change but if obviously if you kill yourself there's no more changing to be done i'm just saying okay i'm just saying your brain whether it's your genetic or your environment your brain determines your ultimate outcome and you're saying well what what determined De- uh, edward's ultimate outcome then if it wasn't his genetics and it wasn't his environment some people who believe in free will strongly say well i'm a christian and i believe god gave us souls with free will so it's kind of like this spiritual element of things do you believe that no so what element do you believe like led up to this conclusion i guess i believe in education man because like in the process you read something you add all the knowledge, the experience that people actually wrote down yeah. on paper. You, you, If you choose to believe in those things, of course, you can't just believe in everything you read. Yeah. But if you choose to believe in those sensible, those rational things, and you you kind of borrow them, you kind of um, build up on your own wisdom and yeah. intelligence, then you probably will beat, uh, win over the the nature the genetic influence i think it's possible that if he had some kind of mental health uh, journal of help that was sitting in his apartment or maybe he flipped through and he found Mm -hmm. he could have been influenced to go get therapy and help and maybe have been successful maybe i don't know but i'm saying the absence of that there it clearly wasn't there and he clearly didn't have the spark in his mind to make the efforts to go out and explore those alternative methods. Yeah, I guess so. I guess like Edward, at that moment, he was just like in this abyss of darkness that he doesn't see any hope of yeah. getting out. And it's very hard to crawl out of that. I mean, obviously, otherwise there wouldn't be suicide if it was easy to come out of that. Exactly. Anyway, I just wanted to add that, but yeah, I am pretty tired. <laughs> okay, then thanks for listening again, and bye for now, for real. Bye-bye.